most grateful and happy to be with all of you this evening. It's truly an honor to be in your presence. Thank you for coming. Before I interrupted, Janavi Devi was singing such beautiful prayers of devotion, sharing her heart, her love with God and with everyone. Thank you. Yoga is the, the art, the science, the culture, the lifestyle of awakening the love, the happiness that is in the in innermost depths of our being. The nature of the world we live in is we forget due to many distractions who we are and what we're truly looking for. What is within us we're looking for outside of us. We were just having a discussion upstairs about how this has always been a problem throughout the history of humanity. And it seems like we always think it's very special today. But this, the disrest, the divisions, the conflicts, the animosity and the greed, which creates such dysfunctional conditions. They are born because people are so much obsessed with externals. We're thinking that what will make us happy, what will make us great, is the accumulation of externals. Fame, prestige, money, property, power, sensory gratifications, these are all externals. And what is external is also superficial. The experience we can get from them is very hollow.
because the substance that everyone is looking for is something that's real, something that's deep, and that really has a relationship with our true self. The Bhagavad Gita tells a definition of intelligence from a spiritual perspective is one who is seeking their happiness, their peace, their enlightenment, their meaningful experience within, not in externals. But the Bhagavad Gita goes on to present a extraordinary vision of the world of how to transform externals into internals. Because anything we see, anything we do, if it is in harmony with the true quest of the living force, the soul, within us, then it's no longer external. It's actually internal. If we act with greed, that is external. If we act in a mood of service, service to God, and the consequent natural service to other beings, the same thing is internal. Like somebody may be working, let us take, for example, I don't want to say Wall Street, but I'll say Wall Street. <laughs> um, there's many things coming to my mind. <laughs> but one person is sitting at their desk and they're doing, and then the person in the desk next to them is doing exactly the same thing. One may be motivated by greed, may be motivated by selfishness, may be doing it in a way that's very disrespectful to others, and another person is doing it to facilitate um, raising a wonderful family to love God and wants to share what, whatever, whatever influence, whatever power, whatever wealth, to share it to, to illuminate the world. It appears they're doing the same thing, but it's actually one is internal and one is external. One is material and one is spiritual. Bhagavad Gita gives this incredible explanation. Aham sarvasya pravavo mata sarvam pravartate. Krishna tells, I'm the source of everything, material and spiritual. Everything emanates from me. Everything is the Supreme's energy. And yet, Krishna says, and still I am separate. I am everything, and yet I am not everything. Does that sound like a contradiction?
That's a good sound effects to answer my question. <laughs> it is a contradiction and it is not a contradiction. Now that seems like a contradiction. <laughs> but it's not a contradiction. <laughs> and the example is given of the sun. The sun planet is giving light. And the light is everywhere and everything's within the sun. Nothing within this earth planet really is separate from it, the influence that the sun has on it. You know, the sun makes the grains grow and the fruits grow and, and the vegetables grow and, and the tr trees. And everyone is subsisting on these things. It's creating, it's, it's indirectly creating rain. It's giving heat for us to survive <laughs> and light. And the sunlight is everywhere. But yet the sun planet, the sun planet is within every ray of sunlight. But still the sun planet is separate. Because the sunlight is not the source of the sun, but the sun is the source of the sunlight. When sunlight comes in our window, we think, very nice. But if the sun comes in our window, <laughs> probably won't be thinking anything. <laughs> so, that, so they are one and they are also different. Achintya beta beta tattva. So because everything is a manifestation of the Supreme Being's energy and that energy is non-different than, than Krishna, than God, everything is God. But at the same time, the Supreme Source of everything is separate, one and different. When we connect with the source, then we're naturally connected with everything that is emanating from the source. And that is the principle of bhakti yoga, to reconnect with that source and in doing so, awaken our deepest potential. that by managing in a professional way <laughs> or by cooking in a nice way or by interacting with others in relationship with this principle of seva to the Supreme, then we actually are connecting with the whole world as the internal nature of our true self. There's a beautiful story of Lord Chaitanya. Does, please raise your hand if you know who is Lord Chaitanya. 
please raise your hand if you do not know. So, the one supreme truth has descended into this world many, many times throughout human history. Yada, yada, hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata. And whenever establishes universal, essential spiritual principles to remind us what we have forgotten. That we're all eternal spirit souls, we're all children of the same source, we're all personally related to the all-attractive, all-beautiful God, or Krishna, or Rama. And Krishna appeared in his original form and personality 5,000 years ago in a place called Vrindavan. And that same Krishna was predicted 5,000 years ago to come 4,500 years later, which was 500 years ago, as Sri Chaitanya. And he came, Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita and taught us the path of how to live within this world in a way that at every step of our life we're coming closer to the Supreme Truth. That what all of our actions, all of our words, all of our thoughts are liberating us and awakening our divine love. Lord Chaitanya, he came, Krishna came to teach us by example. And Srila Prabhupada gave the analogy that a teacher one wants to teach new students how to write the alphabet. This is how to make an A. First you make a curved line this way, and then you make a curved line the other way, and then you put a line in between them. And that's an A. Now he's going through a whole exercise, or she. The teacher doesn't need to do that exercise, but does the exercise just to show the, the students how to do. So Lord Chaitanya came in the mood of a devotee to teach us devotion. But at the same time, he was Krishna himself, with the mood of Sri Radha, the supreme lover. So at one time, he was living in a very holy place in India called Puri, Jagannath Puri. It's in the state of Orissa. I was there recently. It's really special. Um, I think just recent, in a few days, there's a festival called Ratayatra in Puri. And average one million people attend. It's just one day long. I've been there several times. It's quite interesting. The day before, the town's just like, you know, they clear the roads and everything. <laughs> they make preparations. But it's not very crowded. But the day of Ratayatra, there's 
800,000 to a million people assemble on the same street at the same time on the same day. And it's in the middle of the monsoon rainy season. And now it's raining outside, I can hear. This rain in New York is... <laughs> compared to the monsoons in Orissa state of India, it's... It's very um, mild. <laughs> and if it's not raining, it's burning hot. And sometimes both together. <laughs> but still, a million people are on that street together for this procession. In fact, I think on June 8th, we're having a Ratiatra here in New York which is a reenactment of what happens every year in Jagannath Puri. And it's been going on like this for centuries and centuries in Puri. So Lord Chaitanya was living in Puri, and every year many, many devotees from so many other um, provinces and states and kingdoms, they would all come to Puri to be with Lord Chaitanya. It's interesting. When you go to Puri, it's really millions of people all on the same street as they're pulling these big chariots. And then the next day, 95% of everyone's gone. <laughs> they just come for that one event. It's very special. So, there was a brother and sister who lived in Bengal on the banks of the Ganges. And the girl's name was Damayanti, and the man's name was Raghava Pandit. And they would come to Puri every year. In fact, they would stay sometimes for four months. But before coming, I'm going to explain what happened one year. Damayanti, she loved to cook for Lord Chaitanya. And she cooked with such love. She cooked it all the way in Bengal, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles. It's like a couple weeks of walking to reach. Hundreds of preparations. In fact, a wonderful scripture, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, describes in detail so many of what she made, the recipes, <laughs> at least the preparations. And sometimes it describes how she made it. And she was in such a meditation, personal. Bhakti is personal. The all-pervading energy of the Lord appears impersonal. But when we understand its connection to the all-beautiful, all-loving, intimate friend of all living beings, the mother and the father of all, then everything, everything we see becomes something very personal. So 
So she was cooking and cooking and cooking and everything she cooked because it had to last this whole trip of two weeks. She packed, she, with her own hands, she not only cooked the preparations, she made little bags for each preparation. Some of them were big bags. And in those days there was no plastic. Now you just have these plastic bags. You just, you know, they sometimes have those zip things on the top. <laughs> we think this will keep it fresh. But in those days, she would just get cloth and other materials and make bags with her own hands. She would weave it, and then she would make vegetable preparations. She would make clay pots. <laughs> and put wet vegetable preparations, and grain preparations, and fruit preparations, and she would grind her own spices. And, and every one of them was sealed. And each one was prepared in sequence of how Lord Chaitanya was going to eat them. Am I getting in too many details today? <laughs> if nothing else, you might enjoy the dinner tonight after this. <laughs> she would prepare. She would prepare vegetables and sweets and, and, and grain preparations and savories. And some of them were very rich. And she would think that after Lord Chaitanya eats these, he's going to enjoy them so much, but he's going to get acidity. <laughs> then she would prepare a preparation that was extremely bitter but neutralized acidity. That's the way she was cooking. She was meditating on making him happy, making him pleased. And when those preparations came, when Lord Chaitanya ate the bitter ones, nobody likes, they're so bitter, they're medicinal. He tasted it sweeter than nectar because he was tasting her love. He care, she cares about me so much. She would do things like take mud from the bottom of the Ganges and roll them into balls and make them into preparations. She'd add some ginger. <laughs> and he would be crying. If, if we ate it, we'd probably cry. But, <laughs> but he was crying out of joy, out of happiness. Such, he tasted her love. Because the Lord does not accept the thing that is offered. He accepts the purpose in which it's offered. 
she understood he's the absolute truth. But still her love was like he was an ordinary man. You know, the absolute truth doesn't get acidity. But just to reciprocate with the love of a devotee, if the absolute truth is inconceivable, why not? He can get acidity. <laughs> just to make the dynamics of the loving exchange more meaningful, more beautiful, more wonderful. And like Krishna, 4,500 years before Lord Chaitanya. When Krishna appeared in Vrindavan, just to have these most intimate, loving exchanges, everyone who was there was fully liberated, self-realized, had already understood the absolute truth as the almighty and the supreme of the greatest and the cause of all causes. But he appeared like a little boy and they loved him like a little boy. And he would cry, not just imitating crying, he would cry because it made the devotees, it increased their love to come and help him. And that's what they did. And they weren't thinking the absolute truth, the supreme Brahman, the Almighty is crying just so that we could do something. They were thinking, if I don't feed him, he'll be hungry. If I don't fan him, He'll be hot. If I don't play with him, he'll be lonely. <laughs> the realization of the absolute is included in that sweetness of loving exchanges. He appeared like an ordinary person. And they would love him like an ordinary person. But their love was limitless because the object of their love was limitless. And that is Vrindavan. And the Vedic literatures, Brahmiti Paramatmiti Bhagavaniti Sabdite, Vadanti Tat Tat Bavidas Tatvam Yajganamadvayam, Brahmiti Paramatmiti Bhagavaniti that the absolute truth is understood in these three features. Forever, simultaneously, the supreme, almighty, all-pervading great, the localized, intimate witness and that's within the heart of every living being and friend, and the all-beautiful personality who's inviting us to have loving exchanges forever. And those loving exchanges are inconceivable, achintya. You 
because the Supreme Being in a personal way wants to have loving exchanges limitless of his partial manifestations, who we are, his children, his devotees, limitless for all eternity. Each one of us can feel that God loves me, fully reciprocating with me. Therefore, in the spiritual, in the spiritual state of consciousness, when we actually understand the nature of the, of the limitless um, love that the one supreme being has for all living beings and, man, and can manifest so many different features to express that love and to receive that love. There's no envy. There can be no envy where there's love. Because the more we have, the more we simply want everyone to have. <laughs> and the material, external state of consciousness, we, we want more than other people. Even in the name of religion, we want to be greater than others. Nationality, religion, caste, race, everyone wants to be better than everyone else, individually, families. But in a spiritual sense, because we're so satisfied, our greatest happiness is to see everyone else so satisfied. We want to see everyone even more satisfied. That's love. And that's kind of like the test of how we're making spiritual progress. When our happiness is really to see others truly happy. We have to be very filled with joy to be able to do that. And that's what we're all seeking. So like in Goloka Vrindavan, Lord Chaitanya was appearing like an ordinary person. And Damayanti was cooking for him. And she was cooking for him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And it wasn't like these today, you know, online supermarkets. <laughs> Where it's, you get something online and then, you know, there's airplanes and special delivery trucks that bring it right to your door. She cooked it. I've, I've been to her kitchen. It's still there on the banks of the Ganges in Panihati. I'd love to show you this kitchen. <laughs> there was no gas stoves. There was no, there was just... They just dry cow dung and make it into patties and put a little straw in it and dry it and then make it into a fire. And the stoves were just little made out of clay, clay pots. And all these preparations, there was actually thousands of them. She made them all 
has sent them all by courier. The courier were people carrying them. <laughs> and the people carrying them weren't getting paid to carry them. That was their love for Lord Chaitanya. Damianti has cooked. We want these we want to bring them just to make Damianti happy they brought. That was their joy. This is a loving um, sangam, interconnections. It's not that one is higher or one is lower. Everyone's assisting each other for this, for this very high and beautiful purpose. And it's described that these thousands of pots were brought to Lord Chaitanya. He just had a small room. You can go to that room too. It's called the Gambira. And in the outer, in the outer courtyard, there's some other rooms. And there were about 300 people that brought food for him from their places. And they would give the food to Govinda, who was Lord Chaitanya's assistant. And they would say, please offer this, and this is how you should offer it, and please tell me what Sri Chaitanya says if he likes it. So Lord Chaitanya would sit down for his lunch, and he would take from the temple simple prasad. And the staple food there is rice and vegetables and some dal. And he would say, this was brought by Adwaita and Sita Thakurani. And Lord Chaitanya said, save it. And the next day he'd come and say, this was brought by Srivas Thakur and, and Malini. He'd say, save it. This was brought by, by Chandra Shekhar and, and Malati. Save it. It was all like. And this was brought by Damianti. <laughs> this is, she sent this to you. Save it. So Govinda was really in distress. Because every day, the people who gave that day, they'd say, what did he say, what did he say? And he, he couldn't lie to them, because you're not supposed to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't tell them the truth. If he told them the truth, he would break their hearts. He didn't eat. You cooked all these things. Everyone was cooking dozens and dozens of preparations, and everyone was carrying it hundreds of miles. And, and even cooking more that same morning. How to say he didn't eat any of it. He didn't even look at it. And days were going by, and weeks were going by. And finally, Govinda was in so much distress, he said, my dear Lord, everyone, I can't lie to them, but I can't tell them the truth. I don't know what to do. I'm really in distress because I don't want to break their hearts. You didn't eat anything. 
And Lord Chaitanya said, bring it all. There was an entire room. Because <laughs> Lord Chaitanya said, save it, save it, save it. By this time, an entire room. Like this. And Lord Chaitanya, because he's Krishna, it was no problem. <laughs> he ate everything. And every preparation he spoke, he ate, he explained how much he liked it. <laughs> and Govinda was very, very happily taking notes on everything. This is <laughs> because his only desire was to make everyone else happy. Paradukaduki. So then. After Lord Chaitanya ate everything, there was another room that was just filled with Demayanti's preparations that she made. It took a couple weeks to get there. It had already, all those preparations were already sitting in its room for about a month. And vegetables, you know, there was... This, in the monsoon season, which it is, it's really hot and really humid, and there is no such thing as refrigeration in those days. We're just sitting in the room. And one special feature of Puri, even today, is there are limitless ants. And if you leave any food anywhere, it's covered with ants within minutes. Have you seen? <laughs> Anyways, here it is. And lurched, and after he ate the whole room of food and was giving all, he was just enjoying everything so much. Then he said, now I have Temeyanti's prasad. Lord Chaitanya said, not now. He said, give me a little piece of it every day for the rest of the year. And Lord Chaitanya was tasting exactly what her heart was feeling when she was cooking it. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't famous. She just had love. And she put that love in every preparation in such a personal, loving way. And in this story, we we are given a glimpse of the inner essence of bhakti. That whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we have or don't have, whatever we can do, Janavi Jivana Devi, she sings. 
She sings beautiful, but the beauty of her voice is just what carries the beauty of her heart, the beauty of her intention, the beauty of her soul. And that's what gives the highest pleasure to Krishna, who's everywhere and in everything, and who is the source of everything. And that's what awakens the love within our hearts, to come in contact with that love, awakens our love. Just like if you want to start a fire, what do you require? Fire. <laughs> Two things are required to start fire. One is that the object has to be, has, the, has to have the potential to be put on fire. And in order for that potential to actually awaken, you have to put it in contact with fire. So similarly, our hearts our nature, our souls, the jiva, the atma, its potential is pure, ecstatic, spiritual love for God and for all beings and for creation. But that love cannot possibly awaken unless it comes in contact with someone who has that love. That's why satsang is so important. Actually, that's the meaning of satsang, to be with people who awaken that inner potential within us. the love that ignites our love, the flame that ignites the fire of our compassion. Yashoda Dulal Prabhu, he's, he's in finance. Yes, is that what you do, finance? I don't know so much about finance, but <laughs> that's why bhakti is so interesting. I know nothing about finance, but yet we're best friends. <laughs> I do what I do, but I don't really know what that is, but I do it. <laughs> and he's finance, and she's a beautiful singer, and Lalita Priya is incredible with media and marketing, and um, what is this? <laughs> recording <laughs> and we have Tiana and Shama they're wonderful yogis beautiful yoga teachers Kostuba Prabhu he's like an intellectual genius in the science of devotion and Dayal Goranga Prabhu is just so wonderful at organizing things and people. And Mulaka Devi is mother of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and Jai Jagannath and Kevin, they love to sing, they love to teach. Just, 
everyone. Sundarnath, he's a monk. In the last 25 years, he has not had a penny in his name. He has no property, he has no family. He's a totally renounced monk, and yet he's in charge of the finances for the Bhakti Center. <laughs> One thing that's for sure is there's no corruption. <laughs> does he do that? Because he just, he knows how to do it. <laughs> and there's a need for it, so he's just enthusiastic. And Virabhadaram Prabhu, he's just, his expertise is so much in bringing people together and inspiring people, empowering people. So in our little community here, we see and there's some Vasudev. <laughs> he just goes on the altar and makes Krishna happy. <laughs> and by doing that, he makes everyone happy. And now he's going to blow a conch shell. <laughs> Grihetako vannetako sadahari voletako. Yat karosi rashnasi yat johoshi tatasi yat yatapasya sikondi yatat kurushomat arpanam. Arpanam, whatever we offer to Krishna, whether in finance, whether we're musicians or entertainers or mothers or fathers or teachers or accountants or lawyers or doctors or Farmers or engineers, politicians or monks. These are all details. If we understand that everything in creation is divine property belonging to Krishna, to the Supreme, and all my abilities have been given to me, by the Supreme. And all living beings are children, my brothers and sisters, who are all manifestations of the part of the Supreme. Then whatever we do in life is yoga. Whatever we do in life brings us closer to the essence. And whatever we do in life brings Krishna. Kirtan is gift wherein this value that we're speaking of could be shared with one another and in sharing with one another we are we are spreading that 
spiritual energy to the whole world through singing with our hearts. Krishna's names are that fire. The fire of God's love is in Krishna's names. And if we chant with sincerity, that awakens the fire of our love. And in this spirit, everyone who is simply has that one quality of sincerity is limitlessly valuable and making the most precious contribution to the world. Thank you very much.